would we do without the word? Um, Our feelings change, circumstances change, but the word of the Lord remains. And Lord, we just pray that the word of the Lord would remain with us this morning. Be with us, Holy Spirit. Um, Give us understanding. Speak to us personally and directly. Apply to our hearts what needs to be applied. Lord, most of all, I just pray the love of the Father over this gathering this morning. Lord, you love us. We were just singing about it, and those aren't just words. You love us. It's true. And so we welcome your love here this morning. Abide with us. Be with us as we approach the word. And encourage us, strengthen our hearts, open up new possibilities for us in the kingdom. Or we want to be with you. There's nowhere else we could go. We want to be with you. We want to be where you are. We want to be connected to your work. And so, Lord, we just pray that today, by your love, you just draw us in closer and closer to who you are and what you're doing. Now, we're going to, if John could keep playing, we're going to read a longer passage of Scripture this morning. It's Pentecost Sunday. Christians all over the world are celebrating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. And for us, the timing was perfect this year. Couldn't have planned it better because uh, we just started this new sermon series in the book of Acts. And it just so happens that we're in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And so uh, we're going to read Acts 2, 1 through 41. I'm not going to ask you to stand because it's a long passage. Um, It'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along or you can follow along in your Bibles. But here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. All right, just some real quick basic thoughts before we jump into this passage together. I just want to give you just a crash course in understanding the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. This will be a review for some of you, but I think it will be helpful for us as we look at this passage. First of all, remember that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person who is God, not an impersonal force, right, like Jedi stuff, right? We're talking about a personal power, a personal um, member of the Trinity, right? So what we confess together is that the Holy Spirit is as much to be worshipped and honored, revered as God the Father and God the Son is, right? We believe in one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We talked the last couple weeks about the ascension, about how Jesus was ascended to this place of power and authority. And from that place, Luke wants to establish where is Jesus in the story of the church from from now on. Well, he's at the right hand of the Father, ascended in power and glory. He's in a place of authority, willing to hear us, right? And from that place, he pours out the promised Holy Spirit. This was something that had been promised in the prophets. We read from the prophet Joel. We read a passage from David as well as Peter preaches his sermon on the day of Pentecost. 
And so Jesus does what had been promised long before and what he had promised to his own disciples before he ascended. He had told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And in their waiting and praying, the promised Holy Spirit would be poured out onto them. Now, just to clarify something, it is true that every person who is in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit, all right? You must understand this to understand what the filling of the Holy Spirit is, okay? So if you are a Christian, if you are in Jesus, if you are following Christ, if you have repented of your sins and your spirit was regenerated by his spirit, well, his spirit now lives in you. And nothing can take that away. You must understand that, all right? You were made a son. You were made a daughter of God in that moment, the moment that you came to salvation. And yet, the writers of the New Testament, in more than one place, and we're not going to have time to get into all of this today. We've preached on it before. But the writers of the New Testament, in more than one place, command us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They command us, sons and daughters, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's different language that's used for this in the scriptures. Jesus called it a baptism of the Spirit. Luke prefers the term filling of the Holy Spirit. Most often, that's been our language here. There's a bunch of different ways that the scriptures describe what's happening. But the point is, it's happening, right? There is this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if we already have the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is not about getting the Spirit, but it's about how much the Spirit gets of you, so to speak. <laughs> how much influence the Spirit has in our lives. And one thing we're going to see in the book of Acts is that this experience of being filled with the Spirit of God, of being filled with His very presence, is not a one-time experience. It's an experience that they ex come to again and again repeatedly. For instance, Peter and John are in this room, right, when the Spirit comes on them. In just the following chapters, after the book of Acts, they're going to get filled again to do specific things. The scriptures are going to say that they filled with the Spirit testify about Jesus. Or they filled with the Spirit uh, were willing to embrace suffering for the name of Jesus. We often don't think of suffering as evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it very often is, Right? So it's not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience in the Christian life. It can have varying degrees of intensity. But we live in the state of being filled with the Spirit again and again and again. And then in our experience, and it seems to play out this way in the book of Acts 2, there are these more significant times, it seems, when we just know that even in a moment, the Holy Spirit did something significant in us, empowered us in a new way, convinced us of God's love in a new way, and we see that the way this happens, the way that what the filling of the Holy Spirit looks like, looks oftentimes very different from experience to experience to experience, even in the book of Acts. I'm going to say more about that in just a little bit. So from this point on in the book of Acts, this concept of being filled with the Spirit of God is critical to the whole story, right? Remember, the author Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. He records Jesus being filled with the Spirit. He records Jesus teaching on and promising us the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Acts, we see it playing out. Now, obviously, we read so much scripture. I could go in so many directions off of this passage. But what I want to do today is just make three quick observations out of Acts chapter 2. And I realize 
at Crestmont, we talk about these things uh, with some frequency because this is part of our church culture. Uh, we believe, friends, this is critical for the mission, right? This is critical for our Christian lives. I love that A.W. Tozer quote that, that we read today, that this being walking in the fullness of the Spirit is not some deluxe, special uh, you know, version of Christianity, right? God didn't design it any other way. This is how he designed it to work, to be filled with the Spirit of God. So I just want to make three quick observations. First of all, notice this. This is going to build off of things I've said in the last couple weeks, that misunderstanding surrounding the work of the Holy Spirit requires community and explanation. I find it very interesting that the issue of misunderstanding surrounding the work of the Holy Spirit is recorded in this account, right? Right away, when the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the church, the church has to start to work through some things, answer some questions, understand some things. So look at verse 12, amazed and perplexed. This is a portion of the crowd. They're amazed, that's a positive word, but they're also a little on edge because they've never seen something like this happen before. But they ask a powerful question that I'd encourage you to keep asking when you see the Holy Spirit do something. What does this mean? See, that's a question of hunger. That's a question of, you know, maybe I haven't experienced this before. Maybe this wasn't in my church background. Maybe this isn't how I've experienced the Holy Spirit before. Maybe I'm hearing this story and I don't know what it means. But that's a question we can always ask God and ask each other. What does it mean? But that's one portion of the crowd. Another portion of the crowd makes fun of them, right? So right away, there's a mixed response. Right away, there's some misunderstanding. There's varying opinions in the crowd. We often think that if it's God, if it's the Holy Spirit, it would be so utterly apparent that there would be no questions, right, in the room. Many of us are open to the work of the Holy Spirit, but only if he shows up that way, right? If it's not messy at all. If everybody gets it, if it's so apparent and so obvious that this is clearly God, that it couldn't be denied, but actually, that's very often not how it works. It's not how it worked on the day of Pentecost, right? There were questions, misunderstandings. Part of the crowd is excited. Another part of the crowd, not so much, right? And they start making fun of them. But how does Peter respond? This is instructive for us. He stands up and he addresses the crowd. He says, fellow Israelites, let's have a conversation. Hear what I have to say. Let me, let's look at the scriptures together. Let's see, because maybe we miss some things here that God is now bringing to light. Let's talk this out. And by the way, this is only going to get more complicated, not less, in the book of Acts. Um, and this is one thing on the day of Pentecost. I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but there was reason for them to be confused, right? I mean, God had appeared as fire in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, wind is, is a descriptor that's given to him. But this whole thing about speaking in other languages... Um, a place where we see an Old Testament connection is that, in a sense, it's the reverse of the curse that was given at the, story of ba uh, at the Tower of Babel, if you know that story. God is bringing together the nations after they had been split apart because of sin. Nonetheless, this is nearly completely unanticipated as evidence that God is doing anything, right? And all of a sudden, God is showing up in this way. There's reason why they would have been confused in this moment. So Peter says, let's talk it out. Let's 
Let's look at the scriptures. Let's talk about our experience of Jesus. Let's talk about our eyewitness accounts of who he was because many of us standing here encountered him ourselves. So hear what we have to say. Second thing I just want to point out real quick is that all throughout the book of Acts, Pentecost, this experience of the Holy Spirit, and the resurrection are linked together. This is very interesting. In the book of Acts, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit to preach, which is what's happening here, right? Peter receives the Holy Spirit, he gets filled with the Spirit, and then he begins to preach. Um, What do they preach about? Almost entirely, there might be other themes, other things that come through preaching in the book of Acts, but here's a commonality. Preaching in the book of Acts, apostolic preaching in the book of Acts, is resurrection preaching. The, The main point of the sermon, what they want to get to eventually, is that this man Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. Now, watch this. I was watching a documentary earlier this week. Um, It was kind of dark and disturbing. I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but it was about this cult with this weird cult leader, and he called these, you know, people into the desert, and they started to, like, you know, build stuff. And this guy claimed, so yeah, sounds exciting, huh? You want to sign up? Um, He, this guy, clearly, they have some video footage, operated in some kind of power. This guy wasn't just all words. He had some power, and very clearly, to deceive people the way he did, he was operating in some kind of power. I don't know if you've ever had questions like this, but this stuff will come into my mind. I'll think, what makes him different than us? We claim power as well. We claim spiritual experience as well. We're having spiritual experiences with God. The believers in Acts are, this guy had spiritual experiences. What differentiates us. Well, friend, I can tell you this. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. (laughs) See, every time the Spirit starts to move in the book of Acts, and very often is very subjective, how do you even put into words some of the stuff that we're going to see the Spirit do in the book of Acts? And some of you have had encounters with the Spirit. Hard to put into words some of what happens. But friends, we're not just chasing some random spiritual experience. As people of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit always, this is the test. If you want to know what the test is for if a certain manifestation or gift is from the Holy Spirit or not, here is the test. First of all, it's not if it was in your past church experience. It's not if that's how your denomination does it, right? It's not if that's how we do it at Cross My Line Church. Many times we say we're comparing what we see against the Bible, but we're actually comparing what we see against our experience, right? Here's the test. The Holy Spirit is humble and gentle, and he will always, like a laser, point to the historical person of Jesus Christ, who historically was dead, historically raised to life again. Whatever subjective experience happens points to an objective reality in history with eyewitnesses attached to it, right? And that's always where it heads. Interesting, that cult leader that I just mentioned, in one of the interviews, he's actually trying to defend the movement. And he says, look, I've never claimed to be the son of God. I've never claimed to be Jesus. I'm just seeking after power. See, he's trying to say that to defend, but it's actually exactly what's wrong with his movement, right? Because that means there's a human in the middle of it who's claiming just some spiritual experience, right? That's not what we're going after. 
Any encounter we have with the Holy Spirit, even if it stretches us, even if it's difficult to explain, it points to a historical person in a historical place in history who is historically dead, historically raised to life. You see? Jesus is at the center of it. You understand? Okay, third thing. I'm talking way too much. All right, third thing. Okay, it's for everyone. And this is going to take me into what I really want to talk about today. Um, Peter says this in verse 38. Um, He says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, Right before that, he tells them to get baptized in water to receive forgiveness of sin. And then he tells them, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't teach one baptism, but two, a baptism in water and a baptism in fire and the Holy Spirit. And so Peter alludes to that again. And then he says this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And this is just the last observation I want to make this morning, that it's for everyone, friends. This promise of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, hear me. If you're in Christ, it's for you. At some point, we have to wrestle with the heart of God on this, right? But friends, it's for you. It's for you. Um, we say it often here at Crestmont, everyone gets to play, right? Being filled with the Spirit is not some mark of super spiritual Christians. It is the inheritance of everybody who is in Christ Jesus. And if you want proof that it's not just for super spiritual Christians, look who is preaching this sermon in Acts chapter 2. Filled with the Spirit. He's not exactly an all-star in following Jesus, right? If you know anything about Peter, you know that just a few weeks before this, he denied Christ after promising him that he would stick with him to his death. He was one of the ones who left Jesus after saying that to his face. Have you ever had a friend promise you something to your face and then not do it? Because that's what Peter did to Jesus, right? And we've done it to Jesus too. But somehow, I believe the brokenness in Peter's story, not his super spirituality, friends, listen to me, not his super spirituality, somehow his brokenness and his willingness to face it is what actually positioned him to be filled with power, to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you, you don't need to be a Christian for 20 years before you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what I'm saying. You don't even need to know all of the Bible before you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not putting down at all knowledge of Scripture and knowing the Word of God. We value that deeply as a church here. And as a matter of fact, if you get filled with the Spirit and you don't know much of the Bible, you better get into that thing quick, (laughs) all right? So you're going to make a mess, (laughs) all right? And so I'm not putting down the Word of God at all. But what I am saying is really immature believers can get filled with the Spirit. Children can get filled with the Spirit. You see, there aren't all of these qualifications. It's all grace. Everybody gets to play. Everyone gets to participate. Um, I want to share with you a bit of my story this morning. And this is uncharacteristic for me in a sermon because I don't think I'm here just to share stories with you. On Sunday mornings, I take seriously my responsibility week in and week out to be in the Word of God with you. Um, But I want to take the balance of our time, and I just want to tell you a little bit about my story with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been close to me, you've probably heard these stories along the way in bits and pieces. Um, I've gone other places and spoken 
and I've shared everything I'm going to share with you, but it just hit me yesterday as I was praying and preparing for this sermon. I don't think I've ever stood up in front of Crestmont and shared this whole story. And God just put it on my heart to, to do it today. And if you've already heard these stories, I'm so sorry, but if you're my friend, I repeat stories. So you got to get used to it. I, I tell people um, this all the time. He always gets embarrassed I put him on the spot. But John Jordan is my only friend who will interrupt me and not let me repeat a story. I'm like, and you all have permission to do it, by the way. I don't know why you don't. You're just, but I literally am like three words into the story. Yeah, there was this one time. Oh, you told me that. <laughs> so let's, let's conserve time. And even me telling this story, even me telling this story is repetitive. I've told you some of this before about John. I can't stop repeating myself. All right. <laughs> just get locked in it. All right. Uh, so, uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story with the Spirit. Um, I'm not here to tell you all the stories of my brokenness, but I can tell you this much, and this is true. Um, for my childhood, there were great blessings in my childhood, and I'm, I am grateful for them. Um, I'm grateful that I was put near the things of God, and I have a lot of good memories. And, um, and I, had a, I, I didn't doubt at all in our home especially from my mom, that I was loved. And that goes a long way, you know? And so I'm grateful for that. It's been interesting as I've gotten older and raised my own kids to see the difference in my kids' emotional lives from my emotional life as a young child. Um, because there were a lot of problems in my house for a long time, too. Um, and I don't know if any of you have been in a family like this, but if shame is the language of a family. And there's all different kinds of reasons why that can happen. But if shame is the, fam is the family language, and different families have you know, different things, but if that's there generationally, then sometimes what we'll develop is a capacity to put on masks, is a capacity to hide. And religion becomes a really great tool to do that, right? A lot of people that I know live and operate in the language of shame are also very religious. If you look back in my generational line, there's a lot of religion, you know? And, uh, and so that was my story. And without even knowing it, you know, God got my heart young, and I was drawn to him. And I look back at the ways God encountered me even young. In my room alone, I'd have these experiences in prayer, and God's spirit was coming close to me really, really young. But by the time I got to college, and I went to a great college, great Bible college, I, I learned the Word of God there, and I learned to fall in love with the Word of God there. Um, but this was also true. There were people who were influential in my life who taught me that if I really loved the Word, I'd resist the work of the Holy Spirit because somehow that subjective experience threatened this, right? Um, and I, was, I didn't want to imitate spiritual hokiness. I still don't. You know, um, there were things that just looked hokey or uncomfortable to me when people started talking about the Holy Spirit. And I think for those reasons, in college, I developed a cynicism towards the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I had theology to back it up, right? Um, as a matter of fact, I'm ashamed to say it, but me and my friends sometimes in the dorm room, we would make fun of Christians who we saw embracing the Holy Spirit. We'd mock them together. That's wrong anyway, right? No matter what your theology, forget theology, it's just like poor character, right? But we would do that. Uh, we would make fun of people. But God had stirred in this 
in this ministry, in my heart, this vision for ministry. And you guys know we ended up back here in Aliquippa, starring Aliquippa Impact. I came on staff here at the church. And guys, we were in Aliquippa like five minutes. And I just knew we were missing something. Um, we weren't seeing anything happen. I mean, we took like a few steps in ministry and we're exhausted. Uh, me and Chelsea moved into the community. John and Gal soon came after, and we had one other uh, friend, Matt, from college. Some of you remember Matt, but he moved up with us. And I remember one day, John and I were um, visiting some people in the community, and there was a mother uh, who, in her arms, we were just getting to know her, but her baby was born with an esophageal defect. And they're about to, they're trying to figure out surgery to correct this problem. And, and she said, can you pray for my child? And I gave a really nice pastoral answer. I said, yes, we will pray for her. And then we walked away. And I'll never, I remember exactly where I was in the neighborhood. As we walked away, um, I just started to just hear in my heart, not audibly, but just in my heart, I started to hear, who do you think I am anyway? Like, you don't even have faith to pray for this person on the spot. Here I am with a Bible college degree, four semesters in Greek, and I can't do that. Then put on top of that, just a few weeks in the ministry, this kid, a kid, manifests a demon in front of us. It was unquestionable. I mean, eyes rolled back, voice changes, his finger is pointing us, he's telling us we're going to fail in ministry in Aliquippa, that God's not going to bless it. And here I am, Bible college degree, all this stuff, I don't know what to do about that. My degree meant very little, right, in that moment. I, I could parse the verbs. I could parse the Greek verbs where Jesus did those things in the New Testament. And I'm not putting that down at all, but I couldn't do it. There was something lacking in my life. And so I just remember the five of us who had moved into the community, we got together. We were living down at the community of celebration on Franklin Avenue. We got together in one of our living rooms and I remember us just looking at each other and saying, we know we're missing something. We know we've made fun of people. We know we've been cynical. But our good ideas aren't going to cut it here. Our best plans aren't going to make a difference in anybody's life. My Bible college degree, in and of itself, isn't going to make a difference in anybody's life. There was this hunger and this desperation that rose up in us. And friends, I can tell you, it was not because we were just chasing some experience. It's because we needed to see people's lives changed. And we didn't have what it took. And so we looked at each other and we said, we don't know what we're getting into. And there's a lot of misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. We had some of them. And we said, but can we create a safe community where we can talk it out? Where we can try things? And we can talk about it after. Where if it's hokey, well, we'll adjust it. Where we can start to pray together. And we went through this season where every Sunday night, we would just begin to be on our faces in prayer in one of our living rooms. It was like clockwork, like for two or three years. And God was teaching us to pray. We knew how to do a lot of things. We didn't know how to pray. We're starting ministry. We're creating programs. I'm on staff here at the church and all this stuff. We don't know how to pray. But you know what? I'm telling you, friends, and this is my testimony, you must hear this. God honors mustard seed faith. A little bit of faith. It's really all he's looking for. It's just a little bit of faith. And we think we have to work up like, he just wants some mustard seed. Just a little bit of faith. And we started to take these little steps. Like one of the steps was this. I remember thinking this in my head. When somebody asks me to pray for them, 
I'm going to pray for them on the spot. I'm not kidding you. That felt uncomfortable to me at one point. And I was a pastor, right? But, but especially if we weren't in church, right? If it happened out there, it happened, it felt uncomfortable to me. But we just started taking these little risks. And friends, every step of the way, this is what life with the Spirit is. You take a risk, a mustard seed step of faith, and he will meet you in a new way with his power and his presence. And then things started to happen. We started to see some people get healed. I never had seen that with my own eyes. Friends, we're on a journey in healing right now, aren't we? But I want to tell you this. You, you will never wrestle more with the heart of God. You will never wrestle more with his goodness now, on this journey of healing. And this is why we got to do it together, right? And we started to wrestle with the ups and the downs. So we prayed for someone, something happened. We prayed for someone, nothing happened. Most of the time, it was nothing, <laughs> right? And we started to be on that emotional journey together and wrestle with that. And, and then we started to have experiences to pray for people who were experiencing demonic oppression. That day that kid did that to me, uh, it wasn't him, it was a spirit. But I, I don't know that I ever felt more defeated in my whole Christian life than that day. Because I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know I had a power. I didn't know I had authority. That's what the Christian life is without the filling of the Spirit. It's knowing stuff, but you don't have power to deal with the thing that's actually in front of you. And so we started to do that. We started to see stuff happen. And then, I don't think I've ever shared this. And listen, I have in some groups, but I don't think here. And friends, I'm not trying to make anyone uncomfortable. I'm just sharing with you my story. And I'm going to tell you some things. One day I'm here in the sanctuary praying. And I'm walking around. I'm asking God, make us a house of prayer. Make us a house of prayer. Teach us how to pray. It had started to grow in me. And I was coming up right around here. And I came up here. I pace. When I walk, I'm so ADD. I'm just like... Walking, walking, walking. Our carpet's a little worn out. I think a lot of it is me, actually, right? And I'm walking up here, and I got to right about here. And all of a sudden, I'm on my face here, right here. And I'm weeping uncontrollably. My mind is crystal clear. Like, I don't know what I thought it was to experience the Holy Spirit, but I can tell you this. He doesn't throw your mind away, <laughs> all right? My thinking was crystal clear. I was very aware of my surroundings, and I was praying in a different language. I wasn't even asking for that. I wasn't even seeking that out. Now listen, quick theology before we panic, all right? Listen, listen. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, of which I am an ordained pastor, all right, our best understanding of Scripture is that there are many evidences to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it does not have to be speaking in tongues. I know not everyone in our church might agree with that. It's okay, all right? But that's what we teach. And, and that has fit with my experience because there's some people that I've known who've never spoken in tongues and are very clearly filled with the Holy Spirit. They move in power, right? And then there's other people who speak in tongues, and I think, you better get another baptism right, of the Holy Spirit because you don't have it, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, they're just the meanest people, right? <laughs> and so... So look, so look, I'm not, and, but it happened. But here is why I'm telling you this. I, when I got up, I could see where my nails went into the carpet here. And I knew I was praying for the church. I knew I was praying for Crestmont. God was burdening me with this congregation in a way that he hadn't before. And um, I felt like it was going to crush me. But when all that finished and I got up, 
I remembered the first thought, I was walking down the aisle here, first thought that came into my mind was, oh my goodness, I'm such a mess inside. See, this is an interesting part about my story. I spoke in tongues. If you, if you don't, it's fine. But I spoke in tongues long before God delivered me from a lot of stuff. Long before he healed me from a lot of things. And when I got off the ground, I thought, oh my goodness, I've seen people healed. I've been involved in helping to cast demons out of people. Now I'm speaking in tongues. What in the world? And I know I'm a messed up person inside. There were sins I was not free from. There were things I was hiding from. Wounds from my childhood I had not yet faced. I did not want to face those things. Secrets I had not told people. Wounds I got. And you know what happened after that experience? God took me into an intense season of encounter and healing. Friends, I'm telling you, I went through this season where every time I went to a prayer conference, and I'm so glad it happened there and not here because I, I, I would have been so self-conscious at the time, you know, about what was happening. But it was like every time I went to a prayer conference, I would look like a crazy person. You know, people would pray over me, and I'd start weeping uncontrollably, and I'd be laying on the ground. I'd be crying and laughing and crying and laughing. And Chelsea remembers we were at one of these prayer conferences in New York, and uh, we went up to one of our mentors and said, what is happening? I said, why? This, like, I don't even want this to happen. Why is this happening every time I come into a prayer conference? And he said, Joel, it's because you have years of wounds in your heart that have led you into sin. And friends, the, re the only reason I'm telling you this is to say, if you see someone having a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, listen to me. It does not necessarily mean that they're super spiritual. It may mean that they're super broken. You see, we assign meanings that aren't from the Lord to this stuff. At Pentecost, it's not that these people were super spiritual. It's that they were super hungry and broken. That's what it was. And friends, I, don't, I still, I don't completely understand everything that happened to me in that season. I'm going to wrap up in five minutes. I don't understand everything that happened to me in, in that season, but I can tell you this. God began to heal the deep places of my soul. And friends, I can tell you, as, as God is my witness, I would not be in ministry today if God had not encountered me. I would have quit or I would have gone down in the flames of sin. I promise. What changed me, I'm not putting down, I loved Bible college, I loved what I learned, but that would not have saved me from that. And it would have hurt a lot of people. What saved me, what severed me from generational curses in my family, what healed my sin, what healed the wounds in my heart were encounters with the living Jesus Christ. That's what changed me. And I can't point back to one moment where it all changed, but it was just like this season. Now, now, let me tell you something, and I asked Chelsea if I could say this. During that season, Chelsea and I are going to these prayer conferences sometimes together, and I think we were having a different level of intensity of experience. I remember one time, I'm literally on the ground blubbering like a mad person, you know? And I look over, and I see Chelsea sitting there just waiting for it to, <laughs> to be done. Let me supply some meaning for you. Chelsea's a lot more put together <laughs> than I am. <laughs> no, but listen, but let me tell you this. I know this about my wife, and I asked if I could point this out because I want you to hear what I'm saying. I don't think Chelsea's ever spoken in tongues. 
but don't tell me that she hasn't encountered the Holy Spirit. Come on. As a matter of fact, one time she was at a prayer conference, and she experienced something I've never experienced. Someone put their hands on her, and she just ended up on the ground under the power of God. I know there's ministries that make much of that. We're not one of those ministries, but there's examples in the Bible where it can happen. I have so many Christians tell me stuff like, you know, well, where is that in the Bible? We just don't have eyes to see it if we don't have eyes to see it, right? But she couldn't stand up under the power of God, so she's on the floor, and there were people praying in tongues in the room, and Chelsea heard it all in English. <laughs> she was able to tell me what they were praying during that time when she was on the ground. Guess what? I've never had that experience. I have experiences she's never had. John and Gal were in the room with us when we started seeking God together. We've had varying experiences. If we counted up all of the ways God has encountered us in this room, we would have a wide range of experiences. And friends, the reason I'm telling you this is because this is for everyone. God will interact with your personality. When I say this, I, don't, I mean the filling of the Spirit as a reality. I don't mean this experience. I don't mean this testimony I'm giving you. My testimony isn't for everyone, right? I'm saying the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And guys, people have varying levels of intensity. It doesn't got to be all that intense. I think God was rooting out of me some deep, deep generational things, right? And I needed it. Okay, I'm wrapping up. Let me just tell you this. It's been many, many years since I've had intense encounters like that. So what happened? Did the Holy Spirit leave me? No. No. See, I know what was happening. For me, the intensity was necessary because God was reorienting my life in a direction. I can look back and I can point to so many things where God was reorienting me away from sin. He was reorienting me away from generational issues. He was reorienting me towards love and ministry. And friends, I can tell you this. Some of you know what this feels like. Some, some, there are judgmental people who, who will say, because you had an experience with the Holy Spirit, they'll be ready to point out the next time you fail and say, see, that wasn't real. It didn't happen. Peter's story, though, is that messed up people get to be filled with the Spirit, right? The whole reason Paul writes First and Second Corinthians is because really messed up people got filled with the Holy Spirit and it needs some cleaning up, <laughs> right? And so it's all grace. It's all grace. So I was thinking, okay, what does it look like for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? Because friends, I can tell you, I know I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you something. If that sounds arrogant to you, if it sounds arrogant for me to say that, it's because you have assigned to the filling of the Holy Spirit a definition that God does not give it. You have called it superior Christianity. You have called it, maybe you have a wound. You feel like you've been left out of something. Maybe you compare yourself to other people. At the root of all of it is that you're not secure in the love of your Father. And that's why it sounds arrogant to you. Because all it is is a story of grace. But friends, I know I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Yesterday I had an experience where I knew this was true. The college of prayer yesterday, someone prayed something over me. They said, I see a feather in your hand and you touching people with this feather like God is giving you an ability and leadership to touch gently and for it to have effect, right? Yesterday after the college of prayer, a young man called me. He said, can you bring me home from work? And, and so I went to his workplace 
Uh, he came up through Aliquippa Impact, and we went. He's been doing this lately. He'll call me every few weeks, ask for a ride from work, and then I pull up to his house, and he won't get out of the car. So I end up turning off the car, and we end up sitting there. He's a man of few words um, in his early 20s, and so we just sit there. And eventually he'll say something. When he does, it's really deep. Sometimes he's cried over things. But God is doing a deep work in his soul in drawing him to Christ. And friends, I don't even have words for what he's been through. I don't have words to try to fix it. I don't know how to fix the life of this young man. I can tell you that. But as I'm sitting there, I feel just the feather of God (laughs) touching him. It's just God's presence. It's so gentle. That's not shouting, rolling on the floor. It's none of that. It's not even this in Acts 2. It's just the gentle, loving, pressing of God on this young man's life. And friends, I can tell you, there was a time I did not have that in my life. And I'm a talker, can you tell? You know what I would have done? You know what I would have done back in the day before I started walking in the Spirit? I would have talked the heck out of this young man right? Because that's what I know to do. Well, this and this and this and this. You know, and try to get him to get. Instead, I'm just sitting there in God's presence, just pressing in on him. He's going to break, and there's going to be a testimony on the other side of it, all right? Okay, Jesus says this, and then I'm closing. Jesus says this, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, he says in Luke 11, how much more will he not give the Holy Spirit when you ask? You know what I just realized about this verse recently? Jesus is making an assumption in this passage, and here it is, that you're his child. He's saying, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, friends, it's only children who get to ask for the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means is? It's only people who are completely loved, completely secure, People who are completely at home in the love of the Father. People who know that God could never love them more or any less. It's only those people who get to seek after the filling of the Spirit. So I want to tell you this. My family at Crestmont, you may have had some experiences. You may not have had experiences. But I I want to tell you, we're not cataloging experiences here. And the reason is, you're loved. You aren't defined. You know this, right? You're not defined by these experiences. You're defined by his love. It's why we spend so much time talking about identity. Don't compare yourself. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And because you're loved, every day you get to say to God, I know there's more of you to have. I know there's things I haven't experienced yet. If you have them for me, I want them. But I know that whether I do or not, I am loved by you today, and I can be at home in this. If you'd stand to your feet, and if John would come. There's so many things I haven't experienced in the Holy Spirit. And as long as I live, I want more. But you know what? If today I don't have an extraordinary encounter, here's what I know. I'm loved. I'm loved. And that's enough for today. Okay, if our prayer ministers could come forward, here's here's the call for prayer today. It's actually not a call for explosive power. Um, God may give that. It's awesome when he does. 
It's not a call to have more experiences with the Holy Spirit. I want that. I want it for you. I want it for me. But here's the call. If you just know that, again, you need washed over with the love of God, then today's a day to get prayed over. If you're tired, I've been feeling tiredness in our congregation. Um, If you're just like the output has been heavy, you just know you need replenished, then just let some people pray over you and just affirm that God loves you. If you've been seeking and seeking and striving and striving, some of us work ourselves into a tizzy trying to get the Holy Spirit to do something. Today's a day just to come and to rest in the love of God. If you feel like you don't measure up, match up, if you're tired of comparing yourself to other people, today's a day just to rest in the love of God. If you just need to be reminded that you have a heavenly Father who loves you, that only the children get to ask for everything the Spirit has to give, if you just need reminded of that, if, you're pain, if there's a pain in your heart, and you just need God's love to be present in that place again, if there's a disappointment, whatever, I just sense the love of the Father is near us today. So Holy Spirit, come. You bring to us the love of the Father. And so reveal his heart and his love to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.